So we're in really challenging conditions. And it's very easy to feel lonely. It's very easy to feel frustrated. It's extremely easy to feel just so sick of it all. Aren't we sick of it? We're just so tired of it. And the strain of it. So what is she going to say that's going to make something good come out of this? And I just want to... Uh, uh, last week, we had fun talking about the journey home, and we talked about the story of Ulysses and his great wandering trip home. And because this is a very literate and um, saga, bright and irreverent. Up came the issue of Ulysses coming home and slaughtering the suitors. Someone wrote, Honey, I'm Home, which is also, I believe, a reference to The Shining with Jack Nicholson. Um, so I wanted to build a bit on that idea of sitting being a journey. And I wanted to share my experience with you. Um, as people come in, we'll let them settle. Um, that I'll repeat myself. It's good to hear this kind of lolling repetition. Um, we've been talking for the past few weeks about this movement of coming home. And some people don't like the term. They find it either vague or it evokes um, an early experience that was difficult. But inevitably, I come back to it to refer to the experience of coming back to sensation, which we can do right now. Coming home, you, you can have your eyes open and you're looking at the screen, but you're giving your attention also to the experience of being present in a body without striving for a special state, just aware of sensation. Just, just that, and see that you can do it with your eyes open. And see that this attention has a slightly different quality than when it's just thinking. And you can feel just a little bit more present sometimes. So I want to suggest that this sitting that we're about to do is also a journey. And a journey doesn't have to be this big deal, this big, long, protracted thing like Ulysses and the Odyssey. It can be the movement of a moment. Just a moment where you go from living in your head, which is what most of us do most of the time, to dropping into the sensation of the body, of being present. And it's a practice. So what's, what's the big deal about this? And one of you sent me a glorious poem. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read the line from Rilke, of course, who seems to be the only poet I read, which is, the mind is a visitor. It thinks us out of our world. 
the mind is a visitor. It thinks us out of our world. We're conditioned to protect ourselves from pain. We're conditioned to protect ourselves from the unknown, from grief, from uncertainty, from a direct feeling of what it's like to be here. And I included in my um, little dispatch today a quote from Carl Jung, neurosis is always a substitute for legitimate suffering. And we don't hear the word neuroses a lot. And we can substitute the word patterns, which I've been yakking about, our patterns, which get triggered. And our obsessing, our analyzing, our thinking, our neuroses is a substitute for conscious suffering. I would call it conscious suffering. When the Buddha promised us a way out of suffering, the way he promised us was to learn to be conscious in a new way. to learn to be conscious of our suffering in a new way. So I wanted to share something extremely practical and tiny. That first of all, a journey can be something that happens in just a moment. One private secret moment. The way we're conditioned is to fly up into our heads and prepare a defense. And we're typically, we see a hero. It was a long road back to Ulysses as this solitary figure brandishing a sword. But the radical teaching the Buddha brought made the hero, even the word virya, the word for effort, which is the same root as virility, a strong man. He made a hero into somebody who puts down the sword, who takes off the armor, and I suggest that this becomes possible when we think that just for a single moment, we let ourselves dare to drop into our bodies, into sensation, into feeling, and feel what's there to be felt. And we see that we're all so, it feels like we're headed for a ledge and we're going to jump off or we're going to fall into a great fire and be consumed. At least it feels this way to me. To give up my defenses, to give up my thinking, to give up my wonderful obsessing and just drop. But I discover each time I do that the real secret of this practice is that it doesn't take effort like we think. Very effort. It takes wisdom and intelligence and kindness. So I jump into the fire of feeling or the, the maelstrom of uncertainty. And I discover that I'm not alone, that there is an attention that appears when I 
go from thinking to include also the body and the feelings. There's a different kind of awareness that meets me there, like a friend. With wisdom and intelligence and watchfulness that doesn't judge. What we're cultivating inside, and this is going to sound like a huge platitude, is an ability to be our best friend. And, you know, before you groan, I have you on mute anyway, so you can groan. Um, it's this art of discovering one moment at a time that we can meet our experience and feel it with an attitude of waiting, of patience, and of great interest. Exactly the same attitude that you'd meet a beloved or some beloved friend or a wonderful baby, someone that you behold with great interest and delight and compassion. So this attention that we're cultivating appears when more of us is present, when we're present, not just in our thinking, but in our sensation and in our feeling. And that is a hero's journey. Because when we make that movement to the center of ourselves, when we awaken just for a moment, we discover that life is here and that we're meant to be part of it. That we're not in this kind of barren world with nothing to look forward to. That is a story in the mind. It's a story in the mind. And again and again, together, we can discover what it's like to come home to sensation and to open to a life that's waiting to meet us. So let's sit. Let's sit together. See what she's talking about. So take a comfortable seat. And notice what it's like as you take a seat and as you let your eyes close. Notice what it feels like to really give yourself permission to take all the time you need. To settle. And notice how it feels to bring the attention home to the experience of the present moment. And we begin to see that this attention itself, this movement of return, 
to experience, to sensation. That movement is relaxing. And just let ourselves begin to relax. Starting at the top of the head and just melting downward from the head to the neck, to the torso. including the arms to the seat and the legs. Feel what it's like to take in an impression of the whole of yourself without judging. It can be partial. It can include tension. It can include emotions and mind states of all kinds. And notice how it feels to let everything be welcome, every state, every thought. And to gently come home to sensation, to the rhythm of the breath. that when your thoughts begin to take you away, that you can see this without judging, without commenting, and just gently come back again, back to sensation. Noticing that there's an attention inside you that's like a light that sees. 
that receives. Notice that if you get lost in thinking, you can come home anytime and find welcome. By an attention that waits and watches with kindness. And acceptance. And notice that the stillness that surrounds you, that's inside you, isn't separate from sensation. From presence.
Notice that the stillness isn't an absence. That it's full of life, of energy. That it supports us. Notice that this stillness, this presence, can hold everything that arises, every mind state. Let there be no orphans in your consciousness. Everything accepted, welcome. Seen.
notice the presence that's here. Notice that as you give yourself to this presence, this stillness, there's also something received. Noticing how it feels to be completely acceptable. Nothing excluded.
thank you for that beautiful practice, for that presence that we shared. And um, I welcome you to share questions or experiences about the practice if you have one, if something comes up. Um, I wanted to just say a word about the ending of the Odyssey um, because it's true that uh, Odysseus does come home and finds himself home, but then a series of reprisals begin, encounter reprisals with the suitors. And they win one fight and then they go on to another fight and there's another fight and there's another fight and the very ending of the poem is uh the goddess athena um appearing in the guise of another character saying stop time for the fighting to come to an end which actually ties into what you were saying before about the buddha's idea of the hero being the one who lays down the sword yeah that's beautiful it's beautiful and um uh, it's it's so extraordinary to remember that in that myth and in the myth of the Buddha that these aren't just extraordinary stories, but they do echo and resonate with real experiences like this effort that we're attempting. And it is, I've often thought very much about that expression, swords into plowshares, because the Buddha spoke of this practice as cultivation, like opening a field. And um, it, again and again, the, the daringness of it and the heroism of the practice is just that private moment when you're really angry at somebody, really hurt, and you dare to just feel it in your body as an energy, instead of um, continuing to project outward into a story. And uh, whatever it is, or Sora, or grief, I think ultimately that's the mother of all emotions in my experience, the thing I fear the most to feel, this grief and sorrow. But when we drop into it, it, it opens and it reveals depths. And we put down the sword and something else appears. And again and again, that's our effort. And I think I find it's just hugely helpful to know that this is a practice of moments, that we're not being asked to completely rid or strip ourselves of our defenses and be completely vulnerable, but for a moment to do that in the spirit of seeing and, and discovering that there is more. And the biggest and strangest and most wonderful discovery of all is that grief and sorrow isn't the end. That there's more to be discovered. A light. And that when you dare to feel your feelings, maybe not instantly, right in the moment, but following that daring, there comes a lightning.
Um, you know, I was going to say that, you know, a lot of times lately I've felt like, God, I, I feel such a strong urge to like fight back with aggression, you know, like, come on, really? Like something is, and I do drop into the, into my body away from the content of the thoughts, but there's kind of a variation that I find helpful. And I do this with my clients too. It's like the thoughts themselves have a quality. And the, the image that comes to my mind is like a grindstone that like they used to use to like grind corn or wheat or something. I once saw it at one of those places, like this is how people lived in 1800, you know? And, um, it's like has a heavy grinding momentum to it. And so sometimes I, I not only sink into my body, but I sort of observe the quality of the thoughts, the grindstone like quality of the thoughts, um, or I encourage clients to do it. Um, and it does help, you know, and I, I like what you said about it sort of one hour at a time. That's how I took it. Like, yeah. Yeah, one hour. It can feel like an hour, a moment. Um, but I think that, thank you for saying that, because this is really about um, expanding the field of awareness and really um, touching your experience like you're the most beloved and interesting being so that you're not kind of secretly striving for a result, but just so fascinated in um, this experience, sword, no sword, without pushing for Athena or for the dog to come recognize you know, the, but the whole, and I, I said this to someone lately, something I found very powerful as not just a kind of mantra, but a practice, really painful feelings were coming up and story and um, the grindstone. And, and I said to myself, I refuse to reject you. I reject nothing. And it had an almost magical effect of um, grounding and opening. And like several of you have really loved the expression, no orphans in your consciousness. It's very helpful. It's helpful for me too. Because we see that there's this subtle or not so subtle, sometimes just overt and so cruel, a tendency to reject parts of our experience. It's just not acceptable to us. And how extraordinary it is in those moments when we really practice presence There's a kind of therapy called internal family systems. And um, it talks about one part of us being exiles, the parts that we've exiled because we, we think they're too painful or don't belong. We sort of have to welcome them back and they have a purpose, just like the parts of us that freak out and want us to fight or, or run. Okay, they, they, they can come too. You know. Yeah, yeah. And not to like harp on Ulysses, but he was in exile in a sense. Coming home. And um, finding, finding it as it was. But and when we do this, help comes. It just does. It appears. Um, I guess I just—it's interesting that in the at the beginning of your of your talk about this, I thought 
you know, I sort of pat myself on the back every now and then, particularly recently when I'm feeling so crappy, so sorrowful or so desolate or so hopeless and think, well, at least I know that it's going to pass, you know, the old no feeling is final. And I feel like, okay, but now I'm kind of thinking it gives me the feeling that I'm just kind of cringing and tensing and waiting for it to be over. And then that feels somehow just as punishing as not wanting to acknowledge it or wanting to fix it. It just like, even as I'm thinking of it and talking of it, it just happened earlier in the week. And I was like, I know it'll pass. I know it'll pass. I know, I know this is not a final feeling. I know this isn't forever. And yet it felt so tensed up and bound. But I also, it's just hard for me to imagine what it feels like to accept it without wallowing in it somehow and feeling like then it draws out. But I guess it's called a practice for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. And it is definitely. And also it can be so helpful too. Like we do think of it as an effort and they use the word right effort and so on. But if you begin to see that it doesn't take effort, but this wisdom, and the wisdom is just watching and waiting. And again, taking it as practice. So it's not like you're enduring, just enduring it until it passes. But the, and you're not kind of cherishing it either in a kind of masochistic way. Um, oh, I love feeling desolate. But to have this kind of loving interest in it, like, like a really dear friend, you're sitting with a dear friend and you're really interested in in their experience and how it unfolds. How will this turn out? And, you know, without like making it into a story, but just dropping in for a moment without feeling of completely non-rejecting interest and patience. And it, it'll take its time, but it's interesting. And do know, I remind myself, like at the very beginning, it's going to be a challenging winter for us. And, and I, it's helpful to remind ourselves that this is something unique that will pass. And not in the spirit of I'll endure it until it passes, but it's unprecedented that we get to be in all different places, but together we're almost like um, monks and nuns in the desert, the desert fathers, the desert mothers, that it's a time when we have conditions that feel, they can feel quite desolate. And these are exactly, as she says, with excitement, it sounds like I'm crazy, but these are exactly, exactly the conditions in which you and I are going to see these glimpses of light and joy and warmth and responsiveness that don't depend on outside conditions. These are exactly the conditions that are going to introduce us to the spaciousness in our hearts. And because with with few distractions or comforts in some ways, um, we are going to drop into them. And we're going to know and taste, at least at moments, that meaning and freedom and this life that we seek doesn't depend on things going well and, and the way we usually define it, but on a quality of the heart itself.
the heart mind, which is heart mind, heart body together. There's something in us that can give us a kind of vibrancy and love and spaciousness and peace that we never quite trusted before. It's true. So that even though we, we could be shattered and still find this inner place for a moment that's wide open, that's with us, that's full of love and understanding and joy. Just for a moment. And it will be amazing when we come out of our quarantine, we will be glowing because we will know that and you can't unknow it once you've tasted it. You will know that your happiness and your freedom does not depend on outer conditions. Tracy, I just wanted to thank you for, um, you say this a lot, but it, it just um, settled with me today. Um, remembering to be um, curious and interested about everything, uh, about our feelings and our emotions and everything that comes up when we sit and um, in day-to-day -day life. And I, I, it's resonating with me um, what you're saying about how we're going to understand better that our um, happiness and freedom is not dependent on things outside ourselves because life feels so stripped down now. Um, and I I'm observing a lot of my patterns and um, the things that I do or used to do <laughs> when I could do them um, to distract myself from feeling my feelings and having any interest in them really whatsoever. Um, so it's really helpful to remember um, for me to hear, to remember, um, to be curious. And um, and it does seem like, even though it's so, so difficult, um, an opportunity where there's a lot less distraction for us to, um, to be present and allow ourselves to be curious and, and, and to feel and to not, like to just take a moment and not, once you start seeing patterns um, and habits, and the things that we do to keep ourselves from feeling, especially the painful things, um, to just um, have some time to, to take a pause and without having to fix it, um, just notice that, there, that shifts start to happen. Little, yeah. really tiny little shifts. Yeah, tiny, tiny is good. And it's true, we're not just our patterns but also this attention that this light, it's true. And this time will be fruitful. It's not just a time of wearing sweatpants and slippers day after day after day. <laughs> it's also a time of discovering that even in the midst of the feeling of complete desolation, a light can appear. Really, truly, that invincible summer. And it's not just Camus, it's you. And it's in us. And we can just stick together 
and get through this together and find that just for a moment. So we'll stop for today and we just take a comfortable seat for one more moment and just feel gratitude, gratitude for this practice, this ancient practice that's been shared by so many people. And it's come to us. And also gratitude for the yoga studio, Yoga Shavaya, and Kathleen, who brought some of us together to become the Hudson River Sangha. Thank you. And to ourselves and to everyone here in this community and beyond, thank you. And we offer the wish, may I and everyone be safe and protected from harm and danger including self-exile. May I be at ease in my life in the midst of it all. May I be free. And we dare to let our hearts open privately but to the whole world with no exceptions, including ourselves, always including ourselves. May we all be safe. May we all be happy. May we all be free in all ways free. <laughs>